Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. One should never confuse friendly with friendship. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 407, But to Connect, comes to you now via Gorathian Sulfur Slug. Pete, though the next Star Trek Discovery won't air until February 10th, uh, there's of course the return of Star Trek Prodigy back on Thursday, January 6th. Uh, and of course, remaining in the stars, although in another universe, some might even say another time, uh, our first episode of the Book of Boba Fett podcast dropped yesterday on its own feed and our pop culture podcast feed. So uh, busy times in the stars. Yes, thankfully, uh, with Discovery punting from January, which caught everybody by surprise last week, uh, at least we will continue to have something on our podcast schedule. We'll be checking out Prodigy as well. Kind of odd, too, on the Prodigy front, Matt. So they've done the first five episodes. They're going to do the next five. It's a 20-episode first season, so they're going to do, like, I guess, quarters. Jury is still out, apparently, if Picard and discovery could have any kind of overlap in february though we've been told february and there are ads with new footage that continue to say february yet doesn't seem likely uh i would agree that it is it would be bonkers to have both at the same time maybe the only exception might be um and, it, and we're pleading for it not to both happen at the same time, only because we don't want to... I mean, there's just two of us, and we pay close attention to this stuff, and we also don't want to give either short shrift. Let alone the notion... Well, I guess, yeah, sorry, Picard wouldn't come back before... Uh, certainly before Discovery, but uh, I guess theoretically, Pete, the notion that there could be one or two weeks uh, in February where there's Picard and discovery and maybe us wrapping up book of boba fett or something like that i don't know these these are good problems to have but yeah. i think it is a it is a problem for paramount plus in my mind if you have picard and discovery at the same time the only exception to that might be if they really want to blow the doors off of their international expansion and go it's not just one show leading the way everybody does one show everybody has their you know, whether it's Mandalorian, sign up now, or, um, uh, you know, whatever it might be, if they really want to sit and say, hey, Uruguay in Switzerland, sign up now. We have Picard and Discovery. That's the only thing that that's the only thing that might make it possible. Yeah, I've read a couple takes that, you know, maybe they want to do some super like international launch of. This is the channel of Star Trek Paramount Plus international, worldwide, galaxy-wide, and do a week where they had all three. Uh, all right. I guess time will tell. I mean, it'll either be February, probably the return in February or in March. Um, Pete, other you know, professional websites have noted what we've been noting for a while about discovery, by the way, that the expectation is 13 episodes, but that no one has said 
And in the 13th episode, the season finale, uh, Pete, I guess we can add to this news segment. Normally at this point uh, in a Discovery season, we know it's been renewed for more. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. weird. Maybe they're saving that for the Discovery Returns um, announcement. I, I I don't know, but oh, you've not heard the conspiracy theorists that the show has been canceled. Uh, not not at the mid season. Although I'm sure there's a take out there where someone says it's it's gone and it'll never come back. They're not going to air the the rest that they filmed. Um, but that the fourth season will be it. And they're they're just delaying that announcement. You've not seen that one. Uh, no, I mean, I, I while I think that that is highly highly unlikely. I'll leave it this way, Pete. At least that theory is supported by facts, or at least the absence of a season five renewal and the absence of the ways that we've gotten informal news on renewals in the past, i.e., on the production weekly website where it's you know. Season five of Sparkle Dust, parentheses, Star Trek Discovery, or here's the casting call, you know, things like that. So it is weird that there's not season five news officially or unofficially, but I guess, you know, to all, to all things, uh, it will come when it's ready. For now though, Pete, let's head into our mission briefing. As repairs to the USS Discovery using programmable matter continue, Commander Stamets asks Zora if she has determined where Species 10C lives yet, but she has found another possible location where up to 147 of those uh, that Zora tells Adira each about... 100 parsecs wide. President Rillick is going to host an assembly of delegates from all four quadrants this day. Stamets wants to ask Admiral Vance to use Voyager to help Zora crunch the numbers, but Adira has confidence in Zora. It's been a week since they went into the void, and Zora only needs a few more moments. By the way, really handy use of dialogue here to establish the idea of President Rillick's assembly. Um, this is normally at the point of a standard TV episode where you go, uh, we're going to have an artificial conversation. Pete, we're here today to podcast a thing. And you go, okay, this is just, you know, they're, they're saying it for the purposes of the audience. This just feels really like a great way to introduce the audience and also a very natural conversation point uh we cut to book ship where burnham is playing with a hollow cat toy uh to grudges maybe not quite amusement grudge is now indifferent that's an improvement over where things have been book is feeling stuck in neutral Uh, however burnham is focusing on what she can control with that an annoyed stamets calls her to engineering there's a problem uh zora explains that while she has the coordinates uh to the species behind the dma she won't be sharing that information if she did uh she would be putting the crew into uh greater danger so it's literally a no-go uh burnham orders zora to share it but still the no remains takes us into the title card there yes this episode written by terry hughes burton and carlos 
Cisco, C-I-S-C-O, and directed again by Lee Rose. Uh, And Pete, when we come out of those credits, take us to Burnham's Ready Room. Dr. Kovic is being brought up to speed on Zora's development of emotions. She's never refused an order before. Kovic has a background in cognitive science with a specialty in artificial sentience and intelligence. But Burnham has something he doesn't, which is Zora's trust. Vance gave Kovic the highest priority here to solve this problem. Uh, There's also regulations against fully sentient integrated units. Saru will get him situated as Burnham is needed at the president's assembly. Did you notice, by the way, Pete, that as Kovic logs into his hollow computer, uh, it is set to privacy mode so we can see text from his side of the hollow screen, but it's grayed out for Burnham on the reverse shots. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, that's a really, really nice touch. Um, Cronenberg, the actor... Uh, and Kovic, the character, wrap up the scene by saying "experto credite," uh, which means trust the experienced person, um, which is also, again, a handy way to get Burnham out the door to the president's assembly. Um, it's taking place at headquarters. Uh, we see, for the first time this season, General Ndoye. She, of course, is there to represent uh, the Earth Defense Force, and she updates that it's not just United Earth anymore. Now it's United Earth and Titan, those two uh, <laughs> metaphorical countries having been uh, brought back together uh, due to its uh, its adventures with the USS Discovery last season. No, no Earth sick, Earth's it exit. <laughs> uh, no, instead, it was a, a, the. The growing of the Union, not the reduction of it. Um, we do have, while we're on the topic of Earth, we have President Rillac vaguely floating uh, the idea to General Ndoye that perhaps Earth wants to return to the Federation. Uh, Ndoye gives a solid, we'll see, um, as, uh, or rather, after the General has walked away. Rillac notes to Burnham that Earth was uh, Rillac's mother's ancestral home, a home she never got to see. Uh, And, of course, the president would love for Earth to return to the family of the Federation. And uh, Rillick understands there's been some whatever, technical, technical with Zora. You're working on a solution. Uh, But for now, it's time to begin the assembly. Calling it to order here, we see the Alshane Emperor uh, has made the trip. Um, Though it's not really his scene, Tarka is there because politicians are like Gorathian sulfur slugs, small brain meat sacks filled with hot gas that provide a means to an end. There are Federation and non-Federation worlds represented in person. And Matt, get this, virtually in this column tower of the top of Fed HQ. Yeah, it's a great use of the space. I don't know to what degree this was designed to be more than, I think, the two levels that they have physically built. But it just, when they have the one shot of it just going, you know, down, 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 you say, oh, look, that's a way to have 20 people per column and as many columns down as you need to go. Um, the, uh, the one little complaint I have, by the way, of Tarka returning here is... Um, 
He's a memorable character from a couple episodes ago. I would not have minded if Book was like, Ruan Tarka, you dog, you, or something like that, just to remind us of his name. I have to admit, Pete, I had to look it up to dust off the old the old uh, isolinear chip there in my noggin. Um, regardless, though... Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the Kinnemer Accords banned isolinear chips in your noggin, Matt. Well, yeah, sometimes, as Tarka is going to tell us later in this episode, sometimes you need a once-in-a-lifetime uh, exception. Um, but as to the meeting today, Rilak notes that the safety of our galaxy is paramount. Oh boy, I bet those marketing <laughs> people really love that one. In fact, I bet, I bet, Pete, there's going to be the international rollout trailer for Paramount Plus, and that's going to be, you know, you're going to see um, the the uh, the kids from this animated show, and you're going to see old Survivor clips, and you're going to see whatever else is on Paramount Plus that I don't watch the 17, 1873 or whatever Western that. Um, that I've heard good things about. Um, but then you're going to have President Rilak saying, you know, our galaxy, they're going to cut, cut off the safety part. Our galaxy is paramount. <laughs> cut to the mountain. Boom. <laughs> paramount plus. Well, they could, they could probably do it like when I did my, my notes run through here where the audio didn't line up with the video. <laughs> uh, there is no infrastructure problem with the app, Pete. Uh, anyhow, Rilak saying, of course, that safety is, shall we say, important, not just for the Federation, but for all the citizens. We are in this together, in person and remote, as you mentioned. Uh, she references, again, in a super tidy and handy bit of exposition and scripting here, uh, that you all already have been given your intelligence packets, which is a handy way to say, all of you at home, you know the drill about the DMA and the lensing and the this and that the other we don't need to go over that right now um because all the people here have already read all that too um so we're going to keep talking the baddies are beyond this galaxy we will discuss we will vote uh there's some chaos here some like general ndoye are asking for attack uh, others are uh noting that there's not necessarily intent of hostile actions this view is shared by president Tarina. Uh, and Burnham notes that we need more information to determine malice. Orion Lady wants to develop uh, countermeasures. It should be noted, Matt, I can't take credit for it, but if you're looking at the screen and you see Orion Lady, to her left is President Tarina. To her right is someone with a spiky outfit not the lady who's down a level that has like spiky shoulder pads but there's somebody whose face is entirely spiky and one of the takes was coronavirus incarnate is a delegate <laughs> in this uh, assembly the corona people so, uh, we... so by by the 32nd century covid will have joined the federation ah, there you go uh, in Discovery's Ready Room, Saru and Kovic are essentially having a pre-chat. Saru feels that Zora means well, and uh, Kovic notes that we always mean well for ourselves, which I feel like, Pete, is the kind of line we all need to keep filed away for the next time somebody, you know, whether it's the boss or somebody says, you know, well, I'm sure they mean well. And you can say, we always mean well for ourselves. Um, 
With that, Stamets and Culber enter. Stamets plays music, clearly to mute the conversation. Um, and no one buys in. I like both parts of that, that Stamets is mm -hmm. thinking ahead and Kovic is thinking two steps ahead. Yeah, the group hug here, so Zora can't eavesdrop, but Kovic says they need the transparency. It's critical in the process, which is not a place we ordinarily see Kovic operate from, so that's good as well. Uh, Stamets finds Zora's full sentience terrifying, given her unfettered access to all of Discovery systems, and Kovic brings up their previous foe in control, uh, but Colbert points out that Control never had emotion. And Stamets says that only makes it worse because Zora can open an airlock when she gets mad or fire photon torpedoes if she gets scared. Uh, Zora believes her emotions began to develop when Discovery merged with the Sphere data, but the 32nd century technology accelerated that. And she says she knows the rules. And Kovic explains that if he finds her to be a risk, he has full authority to extract her consciousness and place it elsewhere. Saru points out that they couldn't remove the sphere data in the past, but Kovic says they've come a long way in 930 years. Culber asks if Zora could choose her new form which Kovic confirms. With that, Pete, we have Adira and Gray arriving, wanting to help. If it is perhaps a lightly shoehorned moment, uh, I think that is that sentiment is done away with by the earnestness with which Gray and Adira want to help. Plus, Pete, it's only the millionth time in a, you know, uh, major, I know this isn't exactly like network TV of the broadcast era, but like, Oh man, Pete, uh, Blue Del Barrio, a member, a full member of the cast, and Ian Alexander, a, uh, a an important guest star, get story time in a show where they're major characters. Like, not that big a deal. Um, Zora the says... The phobia I've seen in the past couple days under the guise of chain of command. Oh, these characters are interrupting this meeting and they shouldn't uh has frankly been disgusting um if you can't see beautifully the hand of the writer which ultimately pays off in the course of their interaction in this matter of well, wait you want to uh get them to uh pray the consciousness away or to chemically castrate the consciousness. I mean, this is not just a discussion about sentience. It's done through the metaphor of what people in the LGBTQ community have experienced. I think, too, to, to hear, you know, I, I know it's not just the Star Trek fandom, but, you know, to hear that there's people in the Star Trek fandom picking and choosing what they think are well constructed arguments like it's against the chain of command for them to come in despite the fact i'm scared of them as humans um yeah but like this is also a portion of the story where the computer is not doing what they want to do so there is a chain of command solution there rip the darn thing out so like you can't sit and go well i show sympathy to 
uh, the computer voiced by smoking hot Annabelle Wallace. But these two come in and, oh, that makes me feel a little funny. So get rid of them. Like, and then to think that your, your argument is, is anything other than emotionally driven, despite the fact you're saying, well, there is a command in which an ensign should not be coming into a meeting with a captain on behalf, like, give it a break. Like you, when you're cherry picking your evidence, you're not doing a good job of your argument. That's that's kind of the bottom line there. We're not being fair to your evidence. Pete, the bottom line is they've come here to speak on Zora's behalf, showing Zora some sympathy here. Uh, and Zora notes that she would never harm the crew and offers a compromise. Uh, she, she creates a fail safe, essentially press the button, and it will expunge her sentience. Uh, and if you're not exactly clear what that means... In a classic discovery moment here of just making sure the audience is all together here, someone says, it would terminate her. And terminate. then they look, at each, they look at each other all concerned while the music is dramatic, just to hammer home the point. Terminate. Yeah, the, the looks uh, sell it on, on top, obviously, of the dialogue. And we leave them at a moment of highest peril to the assembly where President Tarina of Navarre preaches diplomacy while Nadoye of the Earth Defense Force and Titan also uh, wants to act. Um, the Alchain Emperor stresses extending the same courtesy to 10C that the Federation recently reminded he and his people of. So look at that. It, it came back. Um, we see quickly as we pan around the assembly, we see a, a, a updated Cardassian. Uh, Tarka tells Book to know his moment and then beams to the dais to refocus them on the real problem, the anomaly and the powerful device at its center that controls it. One delegation fired 1,600 quantum torpedoes into it. Another scrapped countless probes. And still another has liquidated massive amounts of latinum to try to get a ship inside. But they're not him. And they don't have the weapon he's designed capable of destroying it. And it'll actually work. Rabble, rabble. Um, it's a powerful presentation there from Tarka. It's a great way to bring in... Some of these uh, non-speaking aliens. And also, Pete, it's great to, to get the update there from the Cardassian Union. I'm always glad to be keeping up with the Cardassians. With that, Rillick calls for order and notes that Tarka has flouted the rules of the assembly. Pete, I can only imagine what Tarka is going to do at the end of the episode. Um, but more on that later. Um, he says, nonetheless, he's got this great solution. Actually, pardon me, Rillick does note that this is a great solution. His research shows that the... Uh, Divide needs a lot of power, and his device will create a cascading subspace burst uh, that will sever the DMA from its power source, and it will collapse the anomaly. How will they do that? Discovery can jump into a, a neutral area, drop the bomb, uh, and jump back out again. Burnham looks coolly incredulous and asks for more information. This sounds like an isolytic explosion, something banned at the Kidamura Accords. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Point of order. Uh, I, I recognize uh, Pete from the Cardassian Kardashian Union. That is the second Kidamura Accords, Matt. Not the first. This is the second one that uh, 
outlawed isolytic weapons because the Sona uh, were using them. This is dating back to the 24th century and um, the events of Star Trek inter- Insurrection. Um, I, uh, I, I, I thank you for that reference there. I uh, had lost sight of the fact that the Kidmer Accords, the, the Kidmer itself, this storied place of many, uh, many treaties and so forth. Um, mentioning the isolytic explosion, by the way, uh, we are told that that would damage subspace. Tatarka, that's a feature, not a bug. Uh, Burnham says that the damage indeed would ruin subspace for that whole sector. It might even, the, the damage might even bounce back to the DMA source on the other side of its wormhole. It's at this point, Book steps up, suggesting that it's all worth it. Uh, he's clearly at loggerheads with Burnham, even as she argues for a more measured approach. And Rillick summarizes the scene. Uh, again, a classic uh, discovery move here to make sure everybody understands what's, what's going on. The choice is to approach Species 10C or to attack the DMA. We will recess a then vote. Some of Stamets concerns have been eased by Zora's failsafe, but there's still the matter of her refusing to hand over the coordinates. Gray passionately pleads the failsafe is wrong. Stamets says he and Adira never encountered control, but Gray says Zora is unique like his new synthetic body. And Adira is the first human uh, host to successfully join with a symbiont that the Trill wanted to kill. So Adira advocates for acceptance. Culber says they can't hold a sentient being's life in their hands for their benefit. And Saru points out that anyone on the ship could choose to be a threat. But Stamet says he knows the crew and their values, and there are disciplinary measures. But Culber wants discipline and not death. And it's at this point that Zora states her primary function is to care for the crew of Discovery. Uh, And that is a new uh, basic function of her programming. So proof of evolution. Uh, We go back to headquarters where Burnham and Book uh, are on rocky waters as they once again discuss the pros and cons of communication versus attack. She is sure of her side. He's sure of his. He's going to go take a walk even as Rillick approaches Burnham. Rillick notes that she's pro-communication but must continue to function as the impartial chair that has called this uh, galactic meeting to order. Um, she should be ready for trouble. And it's at this exciting moment when the act ends uh, we return with Book. See, Pete, he went on the walk. His feet uh, took him to Tarka. Uh, he loves Tarka's ideas. Now, can't those isolytic weapons be made safer, though, Pete? Can't we just do a safe isolytic weapon? That's not really how they work there. <laughs> um, and then the scar on the back of Tarka's neck, Book notes it and says that he got rid of her his the second he could uh but Tarka says that they wear grief in their own way eyeing books quajon amulet Tarka at this point tells him that he needs the dma's power source 
to go home. Oh, Teresa? No, to his new home in another universe. The mirror universe? No, one of countless parallel universes. His scientist friend knew of one with no war, where there was no burn and no emerald chain, a place where they could be free. So, Pete, with the revelation here of the show, getting ready to explore an alternate universe, let's just go through the list here. Um, Did the first season take our story to an alternate universe? The Mirror Universe, yeah. How about the second season? No. Didn't we see glimpses of uh, the universe in which Control had destroyed everything? That was an alternate timeline. Well, alternate timeline, alternate universe. Well, they're different. Um, alternate universe and and time are are different. No. Um. I don't. Let me this way. We saw. Mom saw. Did Mom Burnham. Screw create a different universe by bringing whales back from 1986. All I know is I saw Mom Change Burnham. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so maybe agree to disagree here. Um, certainly the threat of an uh, alternate timeline, alternate universe. Okay, fine. Season three, we were back at the Mirror Universe a little bit. So here we are. It's a fourth season, and we're dealing with the potential of an alternate universe or something like that. It will be interesting Matt, to see. Matt, what we're leaving out here, I wanted to save it to theories, okay? Scientist friend knows of another universe, no war. Uh, it's clearly Bruce Banner. <laughs> That's his friend? Yeah. Um, look, I know, Pete, there's been talk of Viacom CBS being mid- mid-sized, so either it's, either it's big enough to buy more or it's small enough to be bought. If you're saying that Star Trek and Marvel and Disney are all going to be under this, you know, Star Trek and, and Marvel are going to end up under the same umbrella crazier things have happened i guess if you, you want to have the bruce brandon reveal sure brought us so much closer this week alone who knows matt and then and then it's the incredible hulk and he takes the dma controller in his hands and smashes it um uh, pete maybe that one's a tad far-fetched but but one never knows um i do right, know so- with this with this scene it's highlighted uh Again, I don't mean to keep hitting this, but here's what my notes keep telling me. At the end of these somewhat complex scenes, they always end with a statement of summary. Uh, and Tarka says that his plan will destroy the DMA, but not the power source. All can win in this situation. Right. So clearly ulterior motives. Um, his friend here doesn't know if he escaped, doesn't know if he got back to this other universe, which is not the mirror universe. And also remember too, that um, uh, Tarka has never been there. So this is all very much suspect. Um, Are we to assume as well that uh, the, the scientist could be um, Aurelio or could be played by 
the Aurelio actor, uh, Kenneth Mitchell. It is, look, in an episode that is doing such a great job with dialogue to explain things, to summarize things, to set up future portions of the story, i.e., we have a Zora search going on, but there's also this meeting, which is the A plot this week. It is weird that Tarka gives this reveal and says, my friend, my friend, my friend. Like, it it does kind of have the slight whiff of, and when it's revealed, it's going to be, I mean, who I don't know, but it's going to be my friend, you know, Fred Noonien Singh, or whatever it is, it's going to be some sort of, some sort of big reveal of this is why we held my back friend, on the name. The DMA. My friend, the DMA. That that could be like a, uh, uh, you know, Viacom CBS could do a licensing thing with like uh, those. Is it pocket books? Those little books. You know, those like the hardcover books. My friend, the DMA. <laughs> Tarka plays book. ball. <laughs> DMA plays ball. Tarka and DMA play ball together. Um, the thing writes itself, Pete. It really does. But licensing. their plan here of, well, if they got separated to meet in that other universe, um, again, I'll spoil what I'm going to say later on. This all feels very wishy-washy and the source is suspect. Okay. And if we can see book maybe being manipulated, the character is so deep in his grief and his single-mindedness of we need to destroy this thing that he can't see that. Um, I, I would absolutely agree with the wishy-washy nature of the character. And it's funny, I, I find myself, particularly in this episode with this and then with the way Tarka behaves towards the end, I find myself saying, oh, this clearly is Star Trek's response to you know, events of 2020 or towards the end of the episode, events of the first week of January 2021, uh, things of that sort. I think it is, It. I need to keep reminding myself, um, hey, they're not necessarily doing a direct copy paste of this event or that event. The DMA is not COVID. Um, there might certainly be elements of it, but rarely does Star Trek save the whales. Usually, you know, it's it's something else, right? Usually it's some sort of metaphor of finding a better way to deal with our enemies, who are Star Trek Six enemies, maybe awfully Russian, but they also could be any enemy that we might deal with in life that we find out that we can work with them and become friends. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the metaphorical aspect, as in the best of Star Trek, is there. I just think it's entirely too apparent to us that Tarka is an unreliable source here. Um, Cause again, the DMA will be destroyed. You get what you want. I get this power source, you know, they, they knew exactly. That's the thing he says too. They knew exactly what they would need to get there. And, and it was this theoretical source. <laughs> yeah. Um, you and I, tend not to have story problems with the way seasons are put together for discovery. Um, if anything, this is a season that has had extra time for preparation and thought and so forth. I think that you are identifying a number of uh, 
weak areas of the character, which are either poorly written, which is unusual for this writing room, which is unusual for an otherwise really tight script, and so forth, or these are all weaknesses that are actually pointing in the same direction. So I would, I would suspect they're going to land on on uh, on frankly hashtag Team Pete. Uh, Pete, shall we head back to the assembly meeting? I hear them pressing the button and and calling us to order. Uh, Rillick reconvenes here to vote, and Book asks for permission to speak. He's a sympathetic figure, given that he's lost his planet, his family, and the nature of his species. He feels their final moments every day. Uh, He prays that they never have to experience that. He does value diplomacy, too, but these are not normal times. And he acknowledges the risks of Tarka's weapon, but also the risk of not, uh, you know, meeting this threat head on and that other people will have those that they love taken from them. Rillick asks if anyone would speak in opposition and Burnham reluctantly pipes up. Pete, is this the Burnham book um, uh, difference of opinions like Space Pappy said would happen last week? Um, Get out of my theories. Um, uh, Pete, it's hardly a theory when we know they the flavor. They just break up? Uh, uh, Pete, th- th- this might be pre-breaking up right here. Um, on Discovery... Kovic is not necessarily surprised that the operation system, Zora, should have evolved, but he's also not seeing any evidence of it as they make their way through logs and scans and things. But wait, Adira sees a tiny area of another tiny area. Maybe this is brand new. Zora says that she didn't create it. It appears it just came into existence. They're going to diagnose it. They dig in deeper. They look at it. It's essentially a clip show previously on Disco. (laughs) Um, We found a clip show. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, It's like the season two finale of TNG. It's a clip show. Um, But what is it that we're looking at? Uh, It's Zora's subconscious, says Culber, perhaps even her dreams. It's a window into what she values, um, which is, I understand what the story is trying to do here. Pete, I just want to say, if dreams are a window on what you value, then, oh man, I guess I value ice cream monsters because I sometimes <laughs> have weird dreams. Wow. Never heard about the old ice cream monster, uh, but I, I uh, have had bad dreams about toilets, so I'm not one to talk. Um, the point here is that through moments of discovery arriving in the future or merging Uh, or I'm sorry, when they encountered the sphere. Um, And later we see things like uh, Tilly welcoming uh, Burnham back to discovery in the 32nd century, or, you know, all these moments, uh, the kaleidoscope put together here. Uh, Zora um, was unaware of this sector of, her uh, her system, uh, even though Stamets points it, it could be a trick, um, and uh, she defines herself, Zora does, as the sum of the sphere's life and the entirety of Discovery's systems, logs, missions, and history. And Adira says that she's an entirely new life form, 
uh, and Zora calls the crew her family. I also have to mention, Pete, part of what Zora dreams about is uh, previous adventures on Trill, which is a little bit of a sticky note for later. Um, then we get Even though subtitles didn't get it right. It says they have Gray say, that's true. Oh, really? I didn't, didn't catch yeah. that. It's very clear. That's Trill. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever's well, maybe, maybe get, you know, I, I don't want to sit there and type up subtitles, but I know if I like when I watch an episode of Star Trek and I understand what I'm watching, know that uh, a character says that's Trill and not that's true. Uh, we then get to maybe the strongest part of this episode, uh, maybe the strongest part of the last several episodes. Sometimes I think, Pete, when things are intercut, I suspect that maybe that's a decision made in the editing process to mm -hmm. speed things up, to take the boring walk and talk with the exciting fist fight and you intercut the two and it's whatever it might be. Here, though, this must have been written as we have Bur Burnham and Stamets talking. Essentially, it, it's the same speech. It's the same conversation. It's beautifully intercut here and i think that stems from the page i got that feeling as well so both are saying and I'll, I'll i'll summarize both here sometimes one is saying to the one or one is saying to the other we need to trust we need to walk the path between destruction and understanding we need to be okay with others and ourselves maybe some of those people concerned about adira and gray need to be honest with why they are not okay with them mm -hmm. um the federation has sought out new life in order to connect uh, and though uh, not all here are from the Federation, we can nonetheless be guided by its ideals. We get through this together. Uh, who do we want to be? Uh, are we going to take action against the DMA? And then will Zora trust the crew? Again, super lovely speech there. Dual speeches. Yeah, and, and really dovetails wonderfully together here. Um, afterward, uh Burnham says that whatever decision they might reach, they could do so together. But book says that some differences are too great. Matt, I feel like they just broke up a second time. <laughs> um, Stamets has uh, given Zora much to consider and Saru compliments him, but Stamets gives credit to Culber there that when you live with a therapist, you pick up a thing or two. And uh, quickly, Zora has run a behavioral performance assessment and determined that uh, the humans' actions are consistently to take care of others with Federation ideals, um, which she hadn't previously considered. And even though she still feels fear, she's also been calmed. Uh, so she thanks Stamets and she displays the coordinates of species 10C. Uh, Rillick back at HQ preps everyone for the vote. Uh, those in favor of communication, raise your hand. Those wanting to strike the anomaly, do not raise your hand. Uh, people start to vote. Uh, Pete, I will ask during theories uh, a tangent on how the whole voting process uh, ultimately works. Well, um, I, the Grand Nagus is in favor, so how could it not bring profit? <laughs> um, ultimately, because it's Star Trek, however they've... Again, we'll discuss in theories. However, they might have set up this assembly for voting. It's Star Trek, so it all works out. The result is we will work towards first contact. Those who 
lost the vote kind of frown and shuffle away, Book and Tarka included. Indeed, Book gives one last angry look to Burnham. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I, I just hope that they can they can patch that up uh, between those characters, because I think we all enjoy their interaction. Um, you know, with the vote for diplomacy carrying here, um, President Rillick needs to speak with Burnham now that the assembly is over, because, of course, Discovery is going to take the lead on this with the ability uh, to jump via the spore drive and the totally not finished and ready to go uh, size of a duffel bag next generation spore drive that we're going to deus ex machina at the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but if anybody could do it, I guess Tarka could. Um, regardless, though, the story at the moment takes us back to Kovich um presumably some time has passed but Kovich is is chugging away on his project here to determine the nature of the Zora problem Stamets arrives both he and Saru Saru already in the scene are wondering how Kovich will land on Zora's existence Stamets is still worried perhaps uh not for today but tomorrow he tells Zora just that she could prioritize herself over the chain of command um she says that she'd maybe like to be a part of the chain of command. Stamets has some thoughts there. Uh, but Kovic reveals his findings that Zora is indeed a new life form. There's the wonderful line that she thinks it's marvelous to be seen. Um, because she is a new life form, she's not subject to Starfleet's rule against integrated artificial intelligence. Uh, which may be a bit of a story sidestep, but we're told there's now no longer an issue. So, okay, fine. I'll accept it. Uh, by the way, what was Stamets going to suggest? He thinks that Zora should join Starfleet. Then she would be bound by the same rules of the fleet. Uh, with that, the failsafe is dismantled, albeit Pete, in two little pieces. Don't know if that's going to be a thing at some point in the future. We need to quickly build it so we can <laughs> push it like the uh, the easy button uh, for uh, Office Depot. Might have been staples, but I, I staples, I, whatever. Yeah, it's they they've merged in the future, <laughs> um, in in the thirty second century. Um, Kovic reveals he was also evaluating Stamets, uh, in addition to Zora, and that if he didn't like what he had seen, he would have recommend that Stamets be reassigned, as it should be. Stamets notes. In the lounge, Gray finds Adira, who tells him that he should go to Trill and train with Guardian Z after seeing the way he lit up at the sight of his homeworld in Zora's subconscious memories. Uh, Gray tells Adira to go with him, um, and uh, they are scared of a long-distance relationship, but they have trust. Discovery can spare them for a few days while they get Gray settled. Back at HQ, Saru is all smiles as he brings Tarina a gift, a plant that uh, helps... Succulent gift, Matt. Oh, Come absolutely. Uh, a plant that helps flavor the Kelpian tea. She, of course, having given him some of that salt tea when last they met, he thinks that this plant will when thrive on... When are we going to on... drink the tea? 
on on this relationship well uh, pete let me tell you this uh as she receives the plant she is all smiles i think there might be there might be a directorial discussion to say is she too smiley here's what i'd like to say pete once again it's not the vulcans don't have emotions it's that they buried him deep down for her to be smiling Mm -hmm. the way she is oh man pete Oh man, I can only imagine what she's feeling, what she's thinking, and what maybe the story has planned that maybe can't even be shown on Paramount Plus. But uh, Pete, I'm all for it. These two crazy kids having their their own kind of Star Trek. But Pete, back to Adira and Gray, who uh, get and give a quick goodbye to Stamets and Culber. Uh, Gray will return at some point. Adira will be back in a week which I feel like Pete is TV code for uh series recurring guest star Ian Alexander will return as needed. However, Blue Del Barrio may sit out the next episode or may be back. Regardless, come episode 409, Blue Del Barrio's Adira will be back. Um yeah, it was a little over the top that they mention it. I wonder too because that's also been seized on Matt that they've secretly been written out uh i I mean i don't mean to repeat myself but this show particularly this episode has statement of summary after statement of summary when needed and i think maybe somebody said whether it was concern for marginalizing uh you know uh portions of the audience slash uh, cast who are normally not given as much time on TV, you know, whatever it might be, or whether it's just, hey, we want people to be understanding who's back soon and who's back a ways away. What's the function of this scene? You will be back kind of soon. You'll be back very soon. So I think to worry that they're both being equally written out. Again, one is a full cast member. One is a recurring cast member, recurring guest actor, whatever the, the proper term is. Um, if people want to look into that and say, you know, there's Blue Del Barrio, a, a credited cast member, like, you know, I don't know. It, it takes a whole lot of work to explain away these people who put in a whole lot of work to explain things that probably are not true. So can you just take us to Bookship? I can, where uh, he places Grudge in a carrier and Tarka beams in with 94 seconds before they realize he's stolen the next generation spore drive that Aurelio needs to come up with a better name for. Why it's on Aurelio and not him, I don't quite know. He plugs in the tiny device into the nav system. Uh, If they can ever get past the need for a navigator, you know, what with Zora, as a specialist in Starfleet now, knowing the whole story, uh, that he'd become the hero of the Federation. It's a different looking interface, uh, but the next part is all book and kind of cool how his programmable matter uh, console, you know, the two holes sink in, obviously, where he's going to put his hands, a la the Spore Cube interface. Burnham uh, enters her quarters to find Grudge five meters from her current location, as well as a message says, uh, I love you, Michael. Zora tells her that Book's ship is currently leaving the shuttle bay 
and she beams there just in time to see them leave and jump away. Pete, with that alarm, it's an incoming threat analysis. Let's talk about the threats this week, starting with Zora. We've talked last week about, you know, the dangers of a of an AI and where that could go. I think that this episode solves it, but to a point. I, I think they still want the writers, the specter that Zora could act on her own whim as opposed to following orders. And we'll dig into that a little bit more when we talk theories in our next segment. Um, but obviously disobeying a direct order, not handing over the coordinates. Uh, yeah, she makes good on it by the end of the episode, but only because they make concessions to her. I would add to this list of baddies uh, Tarka, and I think maybe he is the biggest threat in an episode that otherwise is not really, there's not really good and bad in this episode. There's just alternate views. You know, Zora believes one thing, and these people believe the other, and and um, Kovic is there to kind of mediate and judge. Uh, similarly, the exact same structure for the HQ stuff, in that the president is there to mediate not exactly judge but to facilitate to facilitate a vote um tarka though is the one who book identifies as not just trying to do what he believes is right but waiting for his moment tarka is the one who's manipulating here pushing there and so forth and then ultimately um as i'll dig into a little bit more for theories ultimately acting in a way which is contrary to the democratic outcome of the assembly Right. So, you know, they steal this tech. Yes, he had been working on it, but he still, you know, doesn't have the uh, permission to take it and leave, especially as a prototype. Um, and he wants this power source. The only one, he says, that can get him to this alternate universe where he expects to find his scientist friend he doesn't even know for certain has gotten there the guy could be dead matt and he still needs this power source it it doesn't add up and i I just don't think we can take his his words on face value and i think his words being corrupting we see book uh rather corrupted here uh obviously stealing the stealing the uh well, maybe not. Book is not outright stealing it. Book part of the theft of this mini spore drive off to go they do. Don't the... Get away without him. That's true. Um, so we see Book certainly acting complicit here. I do wonder, like, you know, we've we've um, considered in the past, uh, male leads of Book's ilk tend not to make it out of one season. Here he is in a second season. Uh, are we setting up some sort of potential? Um, exit of him from the series okay maybe i think too pete the ability for book to say i was blinded by this charlatan and i did the bad things and now i'm going to get you know a finger wag from the president of the federation or it's going to be six months uh at the end of the season six months of 
uh, whatever, house arrest on such and such planet. And we'll see you back for the next season when you, when you, when you leave and say, oh, I know much better now. Um, but certainly within the course of this episode, Pete Book showing up on our threat analysis, I think, fairly. Let's use our long-range sensors to analyze some theories. First one up, Pete, starting with maybe the least, uh, the, the least uh, emergent. Are we possibly, it kind of, let's just set pause on the, uh, the short trek with Zora. Are we setting up maybe Zora as some sort of corporeal character, maybe played by Kurtzman pal Annabelle Wallace, who already is voicing the character? Again, get out of my notes. <laughs> you're, you're right there. You know what? Uh, Great minds think alike. I, I, I think they've definitely laid the tracks. Um, for me, you know, as you were saying that, I was typing short track Calypso next to one of my other notes here. So the other universe that Tarka wants to go to, his new home, again, very clearly never been there. Um, is that a way to square the Calypso short trek. So the ship that's seen there is not the discovery that we have now. Could there be an old switcheroo there? Again, alternate takes. Well, this was a discovery that merged with the spore data, but never had the 32nd century upgrade. And we'll take that one back and and leave the other one there for the the dude on the uh, on the short trek. Um, it would be a novel take. And again, in sci fi, you can do that. Um, it's going to be interesting now that that Zora is a specialist in Starfleet like that. That's an interesting way to go. Like. Captain Zora to the bridge? Um of your own ship? This supposes this supposes that they want to resolve that as opposed to just say we wrote a lovely little short track and it was so far in the future that it kind of doesn't ever need to connect. Um that said, the original intention could have been it never needs to connect. Now they go, ooh, we have a handy way where we connect. This discussion process can inspire a connection um so i don't know i feel we have enough episodes in the season i think to resolve this um even if it's just you know some sort of uh agents of three circa uh, agents of three agents of shield circa season four where it's like the new body is ready and you'll see it at the beginning of next season um i suppose time will tell pete sticking with tarka here so he doesn't like the outcome of the vote and he's going to prevent the DMA from thieving more lives. Could you say that Tarka kind of is a stop the steal kind of guy? By stealing? <laughs> um, I think to him it's not stealing. It's him uh, doing what he wants because he's a free and stuff. Uh, there, There's that take as well. And then given potentially the subtext of him and the scientist friend, it is a take. Pete, I think we have a lot more to learn about Tarka in the future. Um, we've talked about Gray 
being a part of the show when they need him, but Ian Alexander still being a guest actor. I just, I, this is less theory and more like, hey, Pete, we kind of called that sometimes Gray will be gone for now, but back when we, back when needed, like we kind of called that and then it happened, right? I like to think they're paving the way for what his role is on the ship. Now, that's an unfair evaluation of him because Matt, you know, on the next generation, you didn't look at every character and and say, well, why does Alexander need to be on the ship? Why why does uh, you know, uh Wesley need to be on the ship? Um they're related to people, but they didn't have function. Um so I think it's unfair and again, the prejudice is emerging in in regards to both the character and the performer's identity. Um, I think what will happen through the writing is whether it's through the inclusion of some trill technique or science or what have you, maybe it's through Zora, uh, as we've already laid that track um, of, of Gray having some expertise, that he will come back and, you know, have some official capacity on discovery. So let's dig now into how this assembly works. And, I, and let me preface this by saying sometimes this is a rough road to go down for Star Trek because things work or they don't. And when they do work, you go, okay, Star Trek said they worked even if the logic doesn't make sense. Like, I'm sure there's physicists that are like, yeah, this whole warp drive thing is all baloney all the time. It always has been. But, Pete, here's some, some things I observed, okay? Clearly, groups are not represented equally here, right? Like, it's not just one vote for the Ferengi Alliance and one vote for the Cardassian Union and one vote for the, the butterfly folk. So is it by population? Why does the Federation have so many votes? Why do some groups have more votes than others? How do they yeah, do this? Yeah, Navarre had multiple representatives. The thing that I question, so you've got the Federation president, and then Burnham is casting a vote. All right, is she Starfleet's only vote? Like, it, it would have been helpful. Uh, Captain Burnham as the Starfleet representative or or something like that. Matt, or even like if you had one line, which would still be hand wavy, no hand vote pun intended. But if you said, you know, um, all the groups are here as per the representation agreement. You right. go, OK, I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that means by population, by this, but whatever it is, they have a thing where they worked it out. And by, by way of the representation agreement, Pete, that means the Burnham gets to vote. It, it's one line away from, I would say, being problem-free. Now, again, would it change the outcome, which is some people vote yes and some people vote no? No, but I don't know. That's, that's where my... In a simplistic way, what does it establish? Um, that they take votes, that they abide by those votes and that that determines their course yeah which of course is the the point overall pete last one from me okay first of all pete are you sitting always okay i hope you're buckled up maybe if you want to get out your tinfoil hat because here we go one of the assembly aliens is a schlurm which has only been seen once before in star trek beyond 
the schlurm kind of is the vaguely um wormish uh looking guy that kind of looks maybe like out of the cantina from star wars pete is the first tv appearance of a schlurm proof that jonah j uh abrams jj abrams himself is back and actually secretly running things i uh am looking at the schlurm now and matt uh we saw a schlurm on uh discovery a couple weeks ago uh did we actually uh memory alpha says that we've seen it two other times there is a schlurm crew member on discovery now has taken uh uh, the nav station when a uh is not allowed on the bridge because of COVID protocols. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, you know what? If Memory Alpha has updated um, in the last couple days, um, <laughs> as I suppose a wiki is wont to do, then then so be it. That uh, that mentioning of it show, uh, of a slurm showing up in the Kobayashi Maru episode, I don't think was there when uh, and the examples. I don't think that was there yes. in my. Uh, it's a I don't know if it's a physical mask. If it's a physical mask, that's a great prosthetic to begin with. Okay. I think it is. I think it is a physical mask. Digital. Okay. And the whole thing about uh, Star Trek beyond the, the loving 50 year uh, letter that that was, was, Hey, here are 50 aliens in the movie that comes out 50 years after the franchise began. That was the whole thing. Oh, and Jeff Bezos. Uh, Pete, what theories do you have? So, uh, the earth president, this is the first time we're hearing of an earth president. Talk about a return of earth to the fold, possibly as a founding member of the Federation, which still sounds so weird. Like that's got to happen by the end of the season. Right. Uh, who are you casting as your Earther president? <sighs> okay. They established that she was female. I'm thinking. Did they? They did. Um, uh, Pete, and good on you for not even noticing as the, uh, as General Ndoye, head of the Earth Defense Force, talks next to President Tarina and speaks to President Rillick. Good job. For you, Pete, not noticing that the Earth president was female, uh, referenced to as female. Um, I think given the state of filming, you probably don't go outside Canada for a role that I will assume if she shows up on screen this season, it would just be a one episode kind of thing. Um, so I must confess, Pete, I'm I'm ill at knowledge to talk about stately Canadian uh, female actresses. I imagine you'd get someone of that ilk. Um, just someone where you go again, whether they're known to us or not. Um, side note, this was an episode looking at, um, the actress who plays, uh, Rillick, like here she is, you know, she's tall. She has this commanding presence. Like she must've walked in the room. They said, yep. You know, if you can remember lines, you kind of look presidential for our space our space federation president and so forth. So I think somebody kind of of similar kind of, I don't know, presentation and probably Canada based. I just Googled uh, Canadian actresses and like, all right, Nev Campbell. Um, I think Matt 
if if she had already not been in Star Trek, Kim Cattrall would be an excellent choice. Okay. Uh, Sandra Oh is Canadian. Dude, that'd be awesome if she came on as the, the president of, of Earth or Trisha Helfer, Carrie Ann Moss. Like, th- there's a lot of good options in here. Maybe they could get even Gloria Rubin, Matt, is Canadian. Everybody's from Canada. Pete, all uh, listen, that's a great list. I would just say that I want to say Kim Cattrall is always welcome back in this dojo, whether it's to Star Trek or whatever else. I'm not here to make Kim Cattrall not welcome on that HBO show. Um, Pete, what other theories do you have? Is Species 10C peaceful? It is an interesting story wrinkle. It's in line with what we've heard about the DMA so far in terms of it being this weird, like it's acting like it's an accident. Um, But it's kind of, this is the first time it's been distilled into, you know, maybe they don't know they're doing this. Maybe we don't know their intentions and so forth. It would be very Star Trek to kind of get to the other side of the DMA wormhole. And it's like, it is a species that's trying to keep the lid on a, you know, to use modern terms, like, you know, it's a nuclear reactor meltdown and they're just trying to save everything. And, you know, this DMA stuff is leaking out. And yes, it's led to the death of a whole bunch of people on the Federation side, but it's, you know, they're doing their best. We're doing our best together. We can all do our best. Like, I feel like that's a very Star Trek inclusion as opposed to, um, Pete, it's the late 2000s, uh, or pardon me, it's the late 1990s, early, early 2000s. I don't know who's going to attack Star Trek. Uh, I'm out of ideas. It's the Borg. The Borg are back. Oh, man, that's the Borg. Um, I guess actually that's also true for season Star Trek Picard. But I digress, Pete. Um, it feels very Star Trek that our enemy is not our enemy. They're just people that we don't know. And we, when we do know them better, we're going to say, aha. Now we can work together to solve this problem. I, I don't think that that would be a weak ending or a weak conclusion to give us that. So who were species 10A and 10B? I don't know. what We discussed this on an earlier podcast. Like it's a weird, it's a weird designation. It kind of lacks to say 10C. To me, verbally, it lacks a little oomph when you say it. Um, you look at it written, it kind of lacks a little oomph versus, you know, I mean, something like the, the, you know, the anomaly group, you go, Ooh, that feels like a shadowy bunch of people pulling on the strings of society or, you know, something like the that. The anomaly builders. Uh, maybe the anomaly founders. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it's an interesting choice. If nothing else, it's keeping the, it's keeping the cards super close to the vest to, to me, quote, you know, to, to me, 10 C, it just feels like some sort of mumbo jumbo that they, that they, the show and they, the Federation put in as a placeholder and it's not meant to have meaning. Um, will Kenneth Mitchell, if he doesn't play, uh Tarka's scientist friend will he play a member of species 10c uh i think given 
the little that we know of 10C or how little we know, I think that that would be, uh, that would be befitting. I, I don't know what practical concerns there are, um, or rather there were during filming with Kenneth Mitchell, like fine speech has become difficult for him. How's he for prosthetics? I suspect probably that's, that's not a great position to put him in. Um, bottom line to kind of focus on the positive here. I think that you can make 10 see all sorts of things, including Kenneth Mitchell was there on set. Uh, they're an energy, they're energy beings, but he was there on set and we, we used, you know, his outline to get the, the foundation for the shimmer effects or, or, or something like that. Um, if they're not going to be, if they're not going to appear as human Kenneth Mitchell type folk. So Matt, I have a plan for fantastic geek, but I need something. What do you need, Pete? I need the largest theoretical power source ever constructed or or dreamt of. Well, um, you just need to wait for a dark matter anomaly to appear in our galaxy. <laughs> and we need to be able to, hopefully it appears at a time when we can go either at warp or faster than warp uh, and not this uh, sublight speed, you know, post burn world that we're, that we're in. Is that all? Yeah, that's all you need. It's just this undreamt of okay. thing that's never happened. Probably never ha we've never seen before and may never happen in our lifetimes because historically speaking, it's never happened before. Um, but if it does, we'll just go there uh, using technology that um, uh, actually, hold on, da -da -da, update, the burn's been solved and we can now do this, that, the other. So actually we can get there pretty quickly if it ever does show up. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on, you know, that, that I have a problem and I need to solve it. And the exact thing that I need to solve it has now come into being. <laughs> See, there you go. It's, it, Pete, it, it, it's that simple to solve your story problems. Sometimes things just show up. Look, I, I know we podcast about these shows that make things up. Lightsabers, not real. Okay. Uh, the Force, not uh, an actual thing, even though after Roman Catholicism, uh, I believe in that too. But um, again, the way that Tarka unfurls this, it just seems pretty silly. Um, I mean, I feel like the season as a whole has been pretty grounded in the world of Star Trek and not necessarily leaning on convenience too much. If you want to say this is the one thing this season, uh, at least thus far, that kind of is like, you know, as I was leaning into the joke before, like had the DMA showed up five years ago uh, in five years ago in the Star Trek timeline, people would have been like, oh man, I never heard of this thing because there's no warping anymore. So whatever. Quiet John, adios. I guess that's a thing. Um, is it convenient that it showed up now? Yeah. Just the way all story conveniences are convenient when they suddenly appear. Um, if Pete, your theory that this is discovery at the core of it, if that is correct, then at least you get kind of the story out of why is it such a small universe? Well, it's a small universe because it's discovery echoing back to discovery or, or something like that. It's Zora trying to reconnect out of the, the the mists of the tachyon, whatever, and it's going back to when she was first. Well, like whatever it is, you can kind of reasonably link back to the here and the now. 
Well, let's talk about old Pete's theory because it took a massive beating this week. Um, I mean, did it? It doesn't change. It this episode did not change our knowledge of what is inside it. If anything, it's saying. If anything, Pete, I would argue that it slightly supported it. Here's why. Yes, Tarkin needs what's in there, so on and so forth. But we're we only have a slightly better understanding that it is it's people in there and it is on purpose in there. It's not some sort of random, you know, echo when this planet and that wave and so on and so forth happen. So I feel like we did not chip away from your theory this week. I think we did because out of nowhere, Matt, though we were working on one and that was established, there is now a portable spore drive that's uh, no bigger than a, a, a couple bottles of water, a jug of water uh, that suddenly can recreate the whole situation. Uh, so it doesn't need to be discovery at the center of it. It could be Tarka and book. Um, what their own search for the thing leads them to be the thing. That's not that, bad. That would be Star Trek in if ever it was. Yeah. Star Trek with a little twilight zone mix in there. I, you, you know what? I don't, I don't hate that as a, I don't hate that as a theory. Um, it then does become a little, um, you know, echo, like, uh, you know, time loop kind of echo sort of thing, but it could be, I don't, I don't love it, Pete, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. What about, um, this relationship with Burnham and book? Are, are we done there? Can this be fixed? Pete, I think for the, what is it? We have six episodes left, assuming it's a 13 episode arc. I think you could patch them up if you want. You can patch them up by the end of the season. Now, maybe that's just not the want of the writing room. Right? Okay, maybe they just say we want Burnham to be left with another kind of scar, another burden. Uh, maybe that's not the want of David Ajala. Maybe he's like, hey, this is great. Two seasons, blah, blah, blah. The second season, it stunk. I, the plan was I could fly back and forth to london to see family all the time and that wasn't convenient for the world of covid hey uh let's make the second season the last season uh okay david no problem we can we can make that happen as well we can turn turn sadness into dramatic oomph um but i think with six episodes to go i'm i'm 55 percent. i'll say there's a 55 percent chance they get back together and all is well by the end of the season I do reserve the right to uh, to upgrade or degrade that number as the season goes on. I'll take those odds there, Matt. Um, did you watch the mid-season trailer? I have to admit, Pete, I watched part of it. I can't tell you what percentage, um, but I think I watched about 20 seconds of it until I was like, I'm just, I'm just too excited for there to be no Star Trek for the next six weeks, but uh, it certainly looked exciting. So we can't talk about what was in it? Um, I mean, I don't really... Pete, here's the thing. When you live hashtag spoiler free, 
even when you when you stumble there's then forces in your brain that then erase it i, I just remember there was some some blue and there were some people from star trek so <laughs> i mean do you want to mention something minor because listen i know i'm not the only one i know that there's more can i talk about a character return we knew it was coming but somebody who's not been in the fourth season of discovery thus far sure non is back okay that makes me super happy because pete non showed up this week too albeit by way of uh archival footage so i'm super happy for non to return um so that's that's great i'll leave you with the piece of dialogue that's in there that's not a spoiler i think we all know where this is going but kovich says uh whatever you think you know about 10c you're wrong um that sounds like the kind of line that when it gets written in the writing room everybody high fives and then somebody who's a writer producer goes that's trailer material um so i don't know that i necessarily <laughs> buy it like we think he could be saying it to you know um i think they're out to attack us everything you know about them is wrong Hey, it's me, President Laura Rillick. I think we should communicate because they're probably nice people over there. Everything that you know about them is wrong. Like, it's kind of a, it's an, it's an equal opportunity statement there. What does God need with a spore drive? Um, Pete, I don't know if God needs anything with a spore drive unless you are Tarka and you think yourself to be God-like. Because uh, he certainly has a healthy impression of himself that uh that mr tarka does i can appreciate what the performer is doing through the character we talked about when he showed up this black-hatted scientist and clearly he cuts corners and you know they seem to be leading us down the path of i can stop the thing but i need to create the thing to stop the thing that will become the thing that we need to stop um but yeah i mean if anything it's consistent that his portrayal is i do what i want and i follow science but uh you know i, I just chart my own path and no one's gonna stop me um and i think that makes him a great star trek kind of villain because irrespective of whether it's commenting on recent events or not you know we don't always need the borger here to destroy everything or khan is here to destroy certain everythings like the ability for star trek villainy to be uh about rejecting a certain set of ideals which is something that's really hammered home in this episode that there are these federation values and even if you're outside the federation the the implication is we can still agree that these are values worth having um to make the season-long villain at least in in personic personified form uh in tarka for it to be somebody who's rejecting those values i i think that's more powerful than um look i love the whole control storyline that was a lot of fun and it was a great cinematic space battle at the end of that season and so forth but like 
robot must destroy everything. Oh no, everything is like everything. So we need to do really great things to stop it. Like there's a place for that. We've done that. Now we can have a different kind of villain and a different kind of threat for this season. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Let's check the Twitter poll that we ran, Pete. And I want to say I'm particularly proud of this one this week, meeting the challenge of knowing that there's people who are just going to look for hashtag Star Trek Discovery and downvote and so forth. Um, I'm proud of this. This week, Star Trek Discovery gives all galactic citizens the right to vote. Apologies to the Galactic Orion Protectorate. You get to vote, too, uh, with the DMA. Would you engage in diplomacy or light it up? Uh, I then added a third option, Pete, because, of course, not voting is an option. Uh, abstain got 3.3%. Uh, attack now got 16.7%. And then 80% of respondents decided to go for diplomacy and understanding. Uh, we heard a Twitter reply from James the Sagacious. That's, that's at Big Killen on Twitter. Uh, good, solid episode. Looking forward to the action and conflicts ahead. Several mysteries floating around. Wish we didn't have a break. But at the 2021 Geekverse, uh, Cup, but the 2021 Geekverse Cup runneth over, and Fantastic Geek was cream at the top. Wow, that's uh, high, high praise there. Thank you, James. Uh, we heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Doctor Polo, 1983. Cronenberg still brings a gravitas to all his scenes. I really like him. I knew Book's father's words would come into play as soon as Burnham decided to speak at the diplomatic approach uh, for the diplomatic approach. Looks like it's going to be an all uh, all action when they come back. We heard from J.T. Adkins. That J.T.A. is me. Excellent episode. Zora's story was handled with proper care, as well as the complexities of the DMA decision. Now, I don't trust Tarka. He's manipulating Book and just wants his alt-verse paradise. <laughs> uh, well done, JT. Uh, countless lives across space and time be damned. Just say no to Grand Moff Tarka. Wow, James really hitting it out of the park there. <laughs> um, we Next, we heard from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. I have two predictions. There's more to Tarka's story, and his motivation is not only selfish but malicious. Uh, and Zora will assume a corporeal form by the end of the season. Uh, we heard from Barton Stan. That's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. So another week of no bridge crew. Might have been interesting to see them have the same debate as the Federation between themselves. Decent episode setting up the back part of the season and the possible goodbye of book. And of course, we don't know any, uh, don't know how the bridge crew would handle it because we don't know anything about them. Uh, Pete, another voice saying, Let's get more uh, of the bridge crew here. There's more coming. Uh, we heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139. Throughout this episode, I was on hashtag Team Stamets. Zora's danger potential finally got some serious discussion, and Stamets was voicing all the right arguments. Zora's story reminds me uh, a little of the end of the Morgan Primus storyline from Peter David's Star Trek New Frontier novels. Beware sentient AI. Uh, the book Tarka Crusade won't end well and will likely lead to the death of one or both of them. Tarka's claimed origin is interesting. Kovic remains an enigma. And the great and the mystery of species 10C is intriguing. A preview, The preview for the rest of season four looks great. And he shared a picture uh, from the second half of the season uh, in which Pete, uh, three regular cast members, one Canadian bridge crew cast member, are dressed in the iconic 
and protective uh, black uh, away mission stuff. So uh, as they walk down the hall, perhaps in slow motion, there appears to be some smoke in the air and so forth. Maybe some rousing music as they get ready for a great mission. So uh, I'm all set for that. Yeah, the uh, the slow mo hallway walk is uh, is a favorite. Uh, next, we heard from Stingray. That's at Trek Girl eighty eight. Uh, okay, so first I have to issue a correction. I did in fact mean the examples, not the Expendables last week. Though it was worth the error to get to hear Matt Stallone voice. <laughs> I will stay here on the planet to atone for my sins. Um, <laughs> Stingray also goes on to say, I hope you're wrong that this is the wedge that breaks Burnham and Book apart. I am still hopeful it won't be. Book did leave grudge with Burnham, and anyone who's ever had a cat knows it's a big deal. Uh, though it I is. suspect Burnham. Yeah. Uh, Stingray says, though, I suspect Burnham will not be able to forgive Book's actions. Um, so, Pete, I think that's, that is very fair evidence there. Uh, then the last tweet comes from Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose584. Please book, don't go or die. I need more information on that Tarka guy. Pete, I don't know if Rose intended that to be rhyming and or poetic, but it was. Let's hear it once again. Please don't, uh, please book, don't go or die. I need more information on that Tarka guy. That's just lovely. Uh, that's, that's a tremendous lead into the second season. That Paramount should cut that right now. Okay. And throw uh, Rose some credit. And that's the that's the little blurb you use to lead us into the second half of the season. Pete, let's now hear from someone who surely is not trying to get to a mirror universe himself. It's Grand Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7. It's New Year's Eve, 9 p.m., and perhaps you hear some fireworks in the background, although every sound you hear is actually prohibited because of our COVID lockdown. There is also a complete uh, ban at the moment on firework. This was a much better episode than last week. In comparison, last week I gave the episode on IMDb a 4 out of 10 and this episode an 8, so that's quite a difference. I have to say I have much less problems with Zora now, since she evolved from a stubborn, emotional autopilot to a new species. I was actually expecting that she would get a Starfleet rank, something like commander or something like that, so that she would be in the line of hierarchy, in the line of command. Then we have the whole political thing. Some people probably won't like that. For me, it was okay. Quite reminiscent of European politics with so many countries, by the way. And then you always have some rogue individuals, like Tarka, who has his own agenda and is obviously willing to take extra risks just because of his own agenda and perhaps too much with the whole galaxy at risk. And I have the impression that the relationship between Michael and Booker will not survive this season. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings till next year. Fred from the Netherlands. Thanks, Fred. Can definitely empathize with the fireworks here and, you know, 
because people need to explode things for the new year. I guess they never heard of noisemakers. Pete, Fred also uh, talks about the essentially the future story potential for Zora and her evolution. What rank would you give Zora uh, and at what point of her corporeal or non-corporeal existence? I think, well, I mean, if they do the corporeal thing, I, I still would like to see as the ship that she gets a, a rank, you know, uh, L- Lieutenant Zora report to the, br- oh, you're already here. <laughs> oh, you are the bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be cute. It could be clever. Uh, just, just the idea that she could be now in the chain of command. I mean, Matt, what's, what's a time honored thing that you need multiple crew members to do is self-destruct, right? What if Zora would, would have a hand in that, you know, we get Kirk, Chekhov and Scotty signing off so that no one of them or no two of them blows up the ship, you know, and suddenly we're going to have a powwow between Burnham Saru and Zora uh, to each input their codes or whatnot. I, I think it it throws a novel wrinkle um, into that for as much as we've been like, hey, the the ship forming an identity and, and telling you no bad, uh, there can be good aspects to the storytelling. Uh, Fred also saw parallels from the uh, the assembly meeting in this episode to European politics. Uh, when our Star Trek podcast returns on February 13th, I'd be interested perhaps to hear more about how Fred is represented in his own country and in the EU and all of that. I must, must admit I have a real, real solid understanding of uh, representation in this country, but less so for, uh, for his slice of the world there. So as always, Pete, Fred sharing thought-provoking thoughts uh, for the week. Well, with the discussion of the COVID lockdown that uh, the Netherlands has gone into, um, I just read this morning there was a big uh, protest in Amsterdam that had been outlawed because there was some concerns, too, that uh, it might be violent. Um, And actually, there were protesters, Matt, wearing like these weird white masks that were kind of like, uh, you know, almost like a Guy Fawkes type of situation or, you know, something along those lines. Um, we know that Fred's in Rotterdam, so hopefully everything's okay. Hopefully people are staying put and we can squash this terrible, uh, you know, uh, illness in year number three. Well said, Pete. And as we wrap up this half of the season of Star Trek Discovery, as always, our thanks to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds, a review in a little bit more time, all of which help us immeasurably. Pete, how can we keep the Star Trek conversation going? How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,279 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Listeners to the Pop Culture Podcast feed know we will be back next weekend to talk Book of Boba Fett episode 102. If you're here just for the Star Trek stuff, I bet Pete's probably a good bet sometime in February. First half of February, we'll do a you know a little preview for the second half of this season, but certainly back on uh, Sunday, February 13th to talk Discovery episode 408. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Know your moments.